0: You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we're concluding our study of the book of 2 Timothy. We're calling Resolute. With this week's message, here's senior pastor, Lance Bourgeois. So when I was a kid, I spent what seemingly was a ton of time in doctor's offices uh, for various reasons. And so uh, when I'm there, you know, I mean, nobody likes sitting in doctor's offices, typically. So one of the things that I would do with my mom as we would attempt to pass the time was play games. So one of them was I Spy. I've shared with you before, I've got red-green colorblindness, so you can imagine what a nightmare I Spy was. Uh, And I didn't know. I'm sure when my mom said I spy something green and I'm picking stuff that's not green, I'm sure she's thinking that's odd. And Highlights magazines, I loved Highlights magazines. Uh, Until you opened up that hidden pictures and found somebody that had circled all of the hidden pictures. Like, who does that? Uh, That was miserable. Uh, But the other thing was was connect the dots. So, you know, occasionally you would get a connect the dots that would look like this. And you're like, where's the challenge in that? Who needs to connect those dots? We all know what that is. And so you would look for and love the time when you would get a connect the dots like that. And you're like... I got no idea. I've got to connect the dots in order to get this. And imagine if those dots weren't numbered, right? And you just think, I don't know where to go with this. How do I begin to do this? Well, as we follow along in our story today, Paul has been giving this life map to Timothy. And I encourage you to open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to end up our study of Resolute this morning, and I think that we've come to the point in our study where uh, Paul has offered Timothy so many things and now it's the time to make sure that the dots are connected because there are the possibilities that you could just say, Timothy, I'm sure that you have figured this out. You have been following with me. So you may not need me to connect the dots. But when something is really, really important, I don't think we leave it to risk. I think we connect the dots intentionally just to make sure that they're done. I think that when we get to our part of the study today, he's got two dots really that he wants to connect. I think he's gonna say, Timothy, in light of all that I've said, you're gonna finish well. That's really, really significant. And then the second is take note. There's several things that he's gonna call attention to today in this passage that he wants us to take note of. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, now, mind you, this is an epistle that is written to Timothy, a real person, Paul, writing to a real Timothy. But as this gets recorded for us in Scripture, the Lord certainly wants us to understand this and apply this because there are applications for it in our life as well. So, we're going to begin picking up right where we left off last week, which is 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 5. As for you... Now, let's stop one second, because if you were here last week, you followed this line of thinking, the world is changing. He's already talked about that. Matter of fact, if you look up just a verse or two, he said, what's going on in this world is people are going to turn away to find teachers that will teach them that they want to hear. Very little conviction, very little confirmation, confirming what the world is doing. That's how the world is going. If they don't like if the world doesn't like what they hear you saying, they're going to go find somebody who will say what they want to hear because they don't want conviction. They want confirmation that what they're doing is right. So when he says, verse five, as for you, Timothy, the world's going to go in that direction. That's not the pathway for you. Verse five, as for you, Timothy, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill. Your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. As for you, Timothy, The world is going to go wheels off, they're going to go in that direction. But Timothy, you're going to be different. You are going to be different. You're going to keep your head about you, you're going to keep this sobriety in the way that you live, you're going to be wide awake, and you're not going to put your spiritual life on cruise control. There's no cruise control in the spiritual life. It's a lot more like a car with a bad front end alignment, right? You take your hand off the steering wheel and the car begins to go off into the ditch. No, this isn't a time to let go of the steering wheel, Timothy. You need to grab hold of that steering wheel and hold on tight. Sober-minded, endure suffering. It's going to get tougher. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get tougher. So you need to have your wits about you with what's going on. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. That word, your ministry there, fulfill your ministry, is where we really get the word deacon from and it speaks about this voluntary service. The idea that there's this voluntary service. The Lord is inviting you in to join him in the work that he's doing. And he's saying, Timothy, come on, you keep stepping in to what the Lord's called you to He doesn't make you do it, but it is an invitation for you to join him in his work. So go and do the work of an evangelist. Now, it's interesting because part of what happens in this world is you can say, well, some people have the gift of evangelism and some don't. And if you have the gift of it, you love it. You're like, I can't walk to walk anywhere, can't wait to walk into any situation and just share the gospel. And there are people that love doing that. And then there's people that say, I don't have that gift. But I think that that's why Peter writes this, in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, is that we live in this reality Is whether you've got the gift of evangelism or not, there is this ministry that the Lord is calling you to, that you and I would join him. And somehow, it's just the fact that we live our lives as we do it in our home, maybe it's with our parents, our siblings, our children, maybe it's where we go to work, maybe it's where the stores we patron. But the idea that when life hits us in the face, endure hardship, and it will hit us in the face, that we respond differently. We don't get angry. We don't lash out. We just keep being the man or woman God calls us to be. And when that happens, guess what the world does? The world takes note. They look at you and say, hey, I couldn't help but notice when somebody was harsh to you, you didn't respond to them harshly. Why is that? And I think that's what Peter's talking about here, is that we're always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks, for you, asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. Hey, you're different. What, are you, what is it about you? And then men and women, we have a chance to answer the gospel. Harshly, well, no, Peter goes on to say this. You do it with gentleness and respect. We do it in the way that we move into people's lives and we care for them. It's the same idea that we looked at a couple of weeks ago when it said, how do we engage the world? We engage the world, and the word was kindness. And it's the same word that Paul uses to the Thessalonians when he says, I want you to care for people with a kindness that resembles a nursing mother. That's how we engage the world. And will the world always celebrate us when we do that? Well, no. We have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if, that when you are slandered, which is an amazing capacity, we're going to be kind to the world. We're going to nurture the world. We're going to give them answers when they come to us and say, hey, we notice you respond differently when hard things hit. What is it about you? And when we answer that, the world's going to slander us? So what do we do? We hit back? No. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's the thing, men and women, we keep being who God calls us to be regardless of the world that we live in. God's got a calling on my life and in your life. Do the work of the evangelist. Keep being ready to share the gospel. Wherever God sends you, you keep being ready. So when somebody says, hey, what is it about you? You can answer the question, how? With gentleness and respect because we're never called to act any differently toward this world. Gentleness and respect. The battle's not ours. There's something else that's going on. Timothy, you keep being you. It's going to get harder. And here's the reality that he knows, and we're going to see an example of this later on in the passage. But what Paul knows for Timothy is true, is this. It only takes one moment to start well, but it takes the rest of your life to finish well. And there's no guarantees, Timothy, that you're going to finish well. So this is how you finish well. You keep enduring hardship. You enjoy so suffering. Excuse me. You endure suffering. You be sober-minded. You keep being the man God calls you to be, and so He looks forward. But now He connects another dot, looking backwards. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Timothy, my time is growing short. I'm going to die soon. And Timothy, we've had this relationship where we've been able to care for one another. You've got questions. You can contact me. You can reach out to me. And I'm able to walk with you in it. But those days are coming to an end. This is at the end of his life. This is considered, some people consider it to be the last epistle that he wrote. So it's coming to an end. And he says, look, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He's going back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. You can read more about that in Numbers 28. He carries that same forward, that same idea forward in Romans chapter 12, when he says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. The idea that I've poured out my life. We've been talking about being resolute. That's what we've called this series. And catch the verbiage that he says here when he says, here's the deal. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You don't get to say those things if you have not been intentional. Has he been intentional? Well, In the first letter to the epistle, he tells Timothy, hey, fight the good fight of faith. Fight it. It takes a battle. It takes intentionality. It takes training. It takes an ongoing intentional commitment. Go fight the good fight of faith. Well, here's here's Paul saying, I have fought the good fight. I want you to keep fighting it. I'm looking back on my life, and I can tell you I have fought the good fight. What fight? Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called in about which you were made the good confessions in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight, Timothy. He's looking back and saying, I've stayed in it. And if any of us are saying, is it possible to finish well? I mean, if it only takes a moment to start well, but it takes a lifetime to finish well, is it possible to finish well? Paul says, yeah, it's possible. Matter of fact, I have fought the good fight. And what about the race? Well, Acts chapter 20, he uses that same idea. I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself if only I may finish my course. I am in the race. I want to finish the race. Everything in my life is about finishing that race. What race? The ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's it. That's what I'm after. And so when he tells us right here in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I'm at the end of my fight. I've stayed in the fight. I have finished the race. You know, I read this and I think that's true for every one of us in this room, every person who is watching today. The race that you're in, the fight that you're in may not be the same as somebody else's. But whatever fight you're in for the Lord or race that you're running for the Lord, the reality is, is the Lord has entrusted a calling in your life that you may run or fight in such a way that you will testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, hey, I'm doing it. Timothy, if you question, can anybody endure hardship and remain faithful in these last days? Is it even possible? I think Paul says, yeah, it's possible. I'm doing it. I'm doing it, and I've stayed in it at all times. So he said, "I've kept the faith," and so now all of a sudden, what we see is this reality. That's, uh, you know what? So from this point forward, laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The idea, the picture is this, it's of the athletic games where you step atop the the winner stand and this laurel wreath is placed on your head. And he said, here's the reality. There is this reward that is coming from the Lord, the righteous judge, and he's going to award it to me, but not just me, everybody else who is looking forward to that day everyone else. That is true for Timothy. It's true for everybody who is listening to this message. There is a deep reality that there is an end to the struggles of this world. And it's easy for us to get bogged down and say, it's never going to end. It's never going to end. And Paul says, you know what? It is going to end. And when that happens, there is a crown of righteousness that the Lord is awaiting to put on your head and oh my goodness, I think that's why when Paul writes to Titus, he says, and these are some of the same things that he said to Timothy, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That is, that's in chapter 3 of Second Timothy. But then all of a sudden it turns to this, that we would live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age that we're in. It is possible, men and women, for us to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly. That is our calling. Waiting for the, and catch this waiting our blessed hope. See, when we use the word hope, we can say things like, I hope it rains this week. I hope the weather's nice this week. We speak about something of uncertainty when we use the word hope. We would like for this to happen. When Scripture uses the word hope, it doesn't mean uncertainty at all. It is an assurance of that which is to come. It just hasn't happened yet. So what's this blessed hope? that you can look at and you can define different ways, it's the blessed, it's the blissful, it's the happy hope of what? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You wanna talk about a moment in time? There is a moment in time that is coming, church, where the clouds are gonna roll back and we're gonna see our Lord and whatever endurance we've had, whatever faithfulness we've been able to have, is there's gonna be this moment in time We're going to see him and I promise you, you and I will say it was all worth it. And we can say, it's really hard now. And I can say, look ahead. There's this blessed hope that is coming for the church when one day he will meet us, he will bring us home and all will be made right in the world. And what a day that's gonna be. And it could happen before we walk off this campus today, it could be tonight, it could be tomorrow morning, But we live in the assurance that there is this reality of this blessed hope. When we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ, we endure now. We do not endure forever. We will go home, and we will meet our Savior, and we will have that crown of righteousness placed on us. I think that's why when Spurgeon said this, this life we have suffered bereavement after bereavement, but we are going to the land of the immortal where graves are unknown things. What a day that is gonna be. We're not there yet, but that's where we're headed. So Timothy, let's connect the dots. I'm not just telling you to endure hardship for no purpose. I'm not just telling you to remain faithful for no purpose. I'm telling you what I already know, Timothy, is that in this world that's full of loss and it's hard and it's difficult, it is possible to anxiously await the blessed hope that is to come. I don't know how many of you ever had the joy of being called to the principal's office. I had that joy quite a bit. And so when those moments happen, I never went in there boldly. I, wait, I was fearful of what was awaiting me on the other side of that door. However, recognize that Paul, with joyful anticipation, is imagining meeting the Lord because it's the reality is that it's the goodness of God that has him there. It's the fact that he has sought to fight the good fight. He has sought to finish the course and he's come to the end of it and he's held on to his faith and he's represented the Lord and he's fulfilled the ministry that God has called him to. And he says, I'm all in. I'm ready for that moment now. And off he goes. Connect the dots, Timothy. Let's finish well. Look back on my life. Live your life as a sacrifice because there's some hard realities in this world, so take note. So, Timothy, let me connect some more dots for you. Look with me, if you would, at verse nine. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke, Luke alone is with me. Get, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful for, my, for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one one came to stand by me, they all deserted me, may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me, strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do your best to come to me soon. Now, he's human. He's enduring suffering. He's remaining faithful, but he is lonely. He's lonely, he's in prison, it's a hard season. He tells us in the beginning of 2 Timothy, hey, you're a joy in my heart. But that relationship that Paul had with Timothy was was longstanding. I mean, we see where he describes him to the church in Philippi. For I have no Church of Philippi, I have no one else like him, Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So many people, they have mixed motives, they have mixed agendas, not Timothy. Not Timothy, he is genuinely concerned about you for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So this is Timothy's heart. Imagine Timothy's heart for Paul. And Paul says, hey, my soul is in anguish. This is hard. I'm standing firm in my faith, but you know what, Timothy? I could use some time with you. I need that. He goes on to say, but you know Timothy's proven worth and catch this. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. They are so intertwined. Their souls are intertwined. If you have somebody in your life that loves you as a spiritual mother or father, brother or sister, son or daughter, you know how precious this relationship is. And when times are hard, it doesn't necessarily mean you're wavering. Maybe you're wavering. But what you know is the strength of another person, a dear brother, sister, son, daughter, mother, father, coming into your life to love you and walk with you means everything. Timothy, please come soon because life's hard. Because sometimes, Timothy, let's connect the dots. You may find that you stand alone. You're not here with me through no fault of your own, but please come. But let me tell you the story of Demas. He's left me. And elsewhere, Paul calls him a fellow worker, at one point, Demas was a fellow worker with Paul, but he didn't remain faithful. Why? We don't know. Maybe the hardship got too much. Maybe the faithfulness went by the wayside and he couldn't stick it out. Maybe life just got too hard. Maybe he found out that, as using the analogy from a few weeks ago, maybe the idea of being on the battleship, and we talked about a battleship being a force for good in the world, and I've said, let's talk about the church being a force for the gospel in the world. Maybe he decided, you know what, I'm tired of the battleship. Give me the cruise ship. Give me the little chase lounge with the umbrella and somebody serving me food and drink. Give me the cruise ship. And Demas, peace out. I just don't want it anymore. I don't want it. I had a good run. I'm out. Let me tell you, there's a warning sign for every one of us. Again, it only takes a moment to start well, but it takes the rest of your life to finish well. Demas is a casualty in that. And I will tell you that when the applause of this world begins to rival or grow louder than the applause of heaven, we will find ourselves in trouble every time. And Demas is a case in point. So know this, Creason's and Titus, they were with me, but I'm standing alone. Nothing bad about them. We don't even know anything else about Creason's, But both moved on to faithfully serve the Lord in different locales. It's not that they abandoned him. The Lord moved him on, and he just feels the loneliness of it. That's okay. God moves people that we love on because he's got other missions for them to go fulfill. And the, here's an example of two. But don't ever forget the people who stand with you, like Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, Paul calls him, the beloved physician, A frequent travel companion imprisoned together during Paul's first Roman imprisonment. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He writes the book of Acts. Luke. Luke's my buddy. I love Luke. I love Luke. He's a frequent travel companion. He was with me. We were like-hearted in this. John Mark. Now, here we just have him being called Mark. We know that he's John Mark. And John Mark had been on a missionary journey with Paul. And he's Barnabas' cousin, and Barnabas is the one who was the encourager. We know that about him. But there's a story. If we're going to understand how significant it is that Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for my ministry, we've got to understand there's a little bit of history here. Acts chapter 15 tells us a story. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So here we go. We got Paul and we have Barnabas. And Paul says, hey, Barnabas, let's do another trip and go around to all the churches we started and let's just check in on them. How are they doing? Are they staying faithful? How we can encourage them? And then we get this. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, this one we just read about. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them from Pamphylia, okay? So Paul says, hey, Barnabas, let's go on a missionary journey and check in with all those churches. Barnabas says, hey, good idea, we should do that. I'm gonna go get John Mark, my cousin. And Paul says, uh, I don't think so. Because what we now know is that John Mark on that missionary journey at some time went, peace out, this is too hard, I'm backing out of this, and he goes home. So Paul says, uh, I don't think so. I don't think we want to bring him along. And not gone with them to that work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. We're going to go, great idea, let's bring John Mark. No, we're not bringing him. He's a flunky, he quit. He didn't fulfill what he was signed to do. Yes, we're going to bring him. No, we're not going to bring him. Yes, we're going to bring him. No, we're not going to bring him. But it was sharper than that. Barnabas took Mark. So what Barnabas says, you know what, Paul, fine. I'm going to take John Mark and we're going to go in this direction and they sailed away to Cyprus and Paul says, well, fine, you do that. I'm going to grab Silas and we're going to go the other way. Now, I want you to think with me about how significant this is. I would ask you to consider in your life. Paul was right to say, we've got an important mission, we need to move forward. Barnabas was right to say, No failure is ever final. We're not going to let John Mark live out his days in failure. He was the one that said, I'm going to go after him and we're going to rehabilitate him because the Lord's not done with him yet. If you're John Mark, aren't you glad that there's a Barnabas who comes into your life and says, I'm not going to let you live in your shame and your failure? Now, I would ask you to consider where you are. Are you on mission like Paul? Are you on Barnabas on mission, but you see somebody that's been left out in the cold, and they're hurting, and they're struggling, and they feel the shame of their failure? Because if you're Barnabas, go get them. And if you're the person that's John Mark that has felt the guilt and the shame of your failure, and you said, you know what? This is just who I am. I'm going to live in the identity of my shame. Allow the Barnabases to come into your life and bring you back into the fold. Everybody is better off for this because that same person is who we get down here. Get Mark and bring him with you for he's very useful for me. At some point, Barnabas's rehabilitation of John Mark yields such fruit that John Mark and Paul reconcile. And all of a sudden, we've got Paul saying, hey, I need more John Mark in my life. I don't know where you are in that continuum between Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, but I would venture to say, I have been Paul, I have been Barnabas, and I have been John Mark. And my guess is maybe some of you have been too. we got to lean into that. There's something there. Tychicus, a faithful companion and messenger, it's believed that he could have been the one who carried this message of 2 Timothy to Timothy. Carpus. We don't even know anything about Carpus other than he was a ministry partner of Paul, and Paul visited him. How do we know that? Because when Paul was there, he forgot his cloak, he forgot his books, and he forgot his parchments. Hey, Timothy, I have a little errand for you. On your way here to visit me, go buy Carpuses. Winter's coming. I need my jacket, and I would love my books, but if you only bring me one thing, make sure you bring me my parchments, my Bible. I'm at the end of my life. I'm enduring hardship. I'm trying to remain faithful. You know where I'm going to go? I'm going to spend time in this book. This is where I need to be during this season of my life. Some will depart from you. Some will stick by your side and some will actually oppose you like Alexander the coppersmith. Popular name. We don't even know who he was. He's an unknown identity, but he does tell us the nature of their interactions. He did me great harm and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I love that Paul says, you know what? I'm not about settling scores. You know what? Lord has me on a mission, and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to endure hardship. It doesn't surprise me that I endure hardship. Alexander the coppersmith was a harsh guy. He was oppositional to me. So, Timothy, be careful. Be careful. That guy, he's going to come in. We know, we know him by his, uh, by his feathers. We see him, so be really careful. But you know what? Let the Lord deal with him. I don't have time to pay out grudges and vendettas against other people. I'm going to be faithful to that which the Lord has called me. And so off he goes. So all of a sudden what we find is we've got all this going on in this relationship. And I wonder if there's not somebody that you and I need to release. Maybe there's an Alexander the coppersmith in your world. This time say, you know what, I'm done trying to pursue vengeance against them. I'm going to hand them over to the Lord and I'm going to get back into the game of what the Lord's calling me to so that I can live that out. Now, he was hurt. I think he calls attention to it in verses 16 through 18. He said, at my first defense, talking about a legal proceeding, you could have character references come in and speak on your behalf. He said, you know, at my first defense, nobody came. Nobody came to stand with me. Out of all the ministry, out of everything I've did for all these people, nobody came. And then much like Alexander, where he says, you know what, that's between them and the Lord. I think that's why he said you know what, I'm just going to let that not be charged against them. You know what, I'm in jail. If they want to come speak in my defense, they're probably going to be aligned with me, and it may throw them in jail too. It's okay. That's not my thing. But even though I was alone in that, the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. A couple of weeks ago, you recognize we've got to be strengthened. We lack the strengthening in and of ourselves. The Lord showed up. Everybody else abandoned me, but that's Okay did you know who was with me? The Lord. The Lord was with me in that moment. And all of a sudden, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You know what? Because you can chain Paul, but you can't chain the gospel. And that's still playing itself out. So, I was rescued from the lion's mouth, which is interesting. We don't really know what that's talking about. Is it literal? Did he get put in the Colosseum with wild animals? Maybe. Is it an allusion back to Daniel and the lion's den? Maybe. Is it a metaphor for Nero and what was going on at the time? Maybe. But know this, verse 18, he rescued me from the lion's mouth proverbially or literally, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Every evil deed? I think he knew martyrdom was coming. And the evil of martyrdom doesn't mean that God lost control. No, God's still going to deliver him, and he's going to deliver him straight from that moment up into his presence. And bereavement after bereavement is over, and we're gone from the days of graves. All of a sudden, all's been made right. And to that God, the glory be forever and ever. Amen. And then we get his final words. 19, Greek, Prissa, and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Prudence, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. These people that he loved, Prissa, short for Priscilla, and Aquila, they were loyal friends. A Jewish couple who were expelled from Rome, they met Paul there, and then they set sail with him to Syria, and then they remained in Ephesus. That's their story, what we know about it. The household of Onecephorus. Anacephorus originally when Paul's in jail, he goes at his own risk to go spend time and befriend Paul while he's in jail. Well, the whole family rallied around that and they courageously stood with Paul in both Rome and in Ephesus. Erastus was a Christian civil servant. He was a director of public works in Corinth and he used his wealth and his influence to serve the Lord using his wealth and his influence to say, Lord, what's the ministry you have for me? It wasn't just preaching ministry. You're called to have a ministry, your voluntary service. He said, you know what? God put me in this position. I'll be used for his good in this position. I think he was living out Jeremiah 29. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into ex- exile. Pray to the Lord on its, the city's behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Go be a part of that community and live out your days there. I think he, Erastus was doing that. Trophimus was a faithful Gentile friend who stood alongside Paul for years. Eubulus, Pudens, and Claudius, we don't know anything about them. Paul valued them. That's enough. The Lord saw their faithful faithfulness. That's enough. We don't know anything about them. And then there's Linus that based on two historians, Eusebius and Irenaeus, that Linus became the first bishop of Rome after the deaths of Peter and Paul. Those are the people he ran with, some of which go down in in a lot of names, and we know a lot about them, some of them not so much. Resolute. Will we be resolute? Jonathan Edwards, considered to be one of the foremost thinkers that America's ever produced, wrote a list of resolutions, and he said he was going to read over those once a week just so he could stay on target. This was the preamble to his 70 resolutions, that being sensible that I'm unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. I believe that the Lord can help me do this, and if these aren't agreeable, then he will make that known. Here's the 52nd of those 70. I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Everybody with us? Resolved that I will live just so I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I lived in old age. Is that I will find myself saying, is that when I'm at the end of my life and I look back, that I'll say, I wish I'd lived this way. So, let me today think about what that would be and let me live every day from now until then, the way I shall wish I had done, looking back. You hear the resolution, the resolve for what he was after. I think he's trying. I think Paul's trying to connect a lot of dots for us. So let me attempt to offer you some things, because he clearly connected dots for Timothy. And the question is, did he connect any dots for us? So we're just going to bounce back through what we've studied in Second Peter. Do you need to connect the dot that God gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-control, not a a spirit of timidity? He gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-control for this life. Maybe you needed to connect the dot that you can overcome the shame of the gospel. You mean that I'm inadequate? You mean that I need a savior? You mean that I'm separated from God, that I might glory in the beauty of the gospel? Maybe you needed to hear that. Maybe you needed to connect that dot. Or maybe you need to connect the dot to endure hardship, the idea that this life is not a cruise ship for us. Maybe you need to connect that dot, you know what, this life's hard. And sometimes we can be surprised by it. We don't have to be surprised by it. But connect the dot that even when it's hard, we remain faithful. We don't go pursue something hedonistic to just say, you know what, I need a salve, I need to feel better today. No, we keep honoring the Lord in what we do. I feel like the last, these last days are getting harder. Maybe you needed the barometer on the last days where Paul describes in the beginning of chapter 3, those 19 characteristics that talk about the fact that we will be lovers of self and not lovers of God. Because then Paul turns around and says, here's nine characteristics for how we could live. Maybe you needed to connect that dot. Maybe that was something for you. Maybe you needed to connect the dot about how we build our lives on the Scriptures. Maybe that's what you needed. Now I'm going to show you several slides because there's a theme that I think runs through 2 Peter that I want to be very uh, specific with. So when I show you these, these are my words unless they're in all caps. If they're all caps, I've used the Scripture words. I want to be really clear on what I'm doing here, and I've put the Scripture reference that I pulled the words from. Because I think there's a progression for how we view the Scriptures. I think Paul says, Timothy, my beloved child, guard the Scriptures, for they are the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Timothy, my beloved child, study the scriptures so that you may be able to rightly handle the word of truth in these last days. Timothy, my beloved child, apply the scriptures for they have been breathed out by God and they are profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Timothy, my beloved child, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Timothy, my beloved child, when your fight and your race are coming to an end, When you're finishing those, above all, cling to the parchments. Because if we put all those together, I want you to see what I think Paul is offering Timothy. When it comes to this book, we guard it, we study it, we apply it, we preach it, and when it comes time, we die with it. There's nothing else for us to cling to. The words of the Lord. So I would ask you to consider. Remember this, connecting the dots? Did anybody connect them correctly? Because when the message is so significant that we can't risk somebody not connecting the dots correctly or just leaving them unconnected, then we go to great lengths to make sure it's really, really clear. And I think that's what Paul has offered Timothy, and I think that's what Paul has offered to us. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.